podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing The World is But a Maze, where we talk about games with powerful weavers. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast The World is But a Maze, we talk about running Invisible Sun and try to work through something that we've run into that we're not quite sure how to best handle. This time we're going to talk about how much power and versatility a high level weaver can wield. So I'm pretty sure we've talked about this in the past. Uh, If we haven't focused in on it, I'm sure we've at least mentioned that weavers are extremely versatile and they can dump a lot of sorcery into the spells that they're casting. Um, So I want to talk about what, what has changed in the game when you have a high level weaver that has around 10 or more sorcery and multiple threads that they can weave into their spells. And uh, after the last session that I had, and this is something I've been, I've been chewing on, you know, (laughs) ever since I think the beginning of the campaign, Uh, this is something I've been thinking about for a while. And it's that, the weaver in my group can basically do anything. The restrictions of the absences in any given weave doesn't seem to be enough or a high enough of an obstacle to prevent them from accomplishing anything they put their mind to. So, Scott, do you have any experiences with weavers? Yes. I'm not sure if my weavers have gotten quite as high uh, a sorcery pool as Mm -hmm. yours have but i have had similar experiences where when they shine they shine brightly yes they shine brightly and you know we we've talked we've chatted about this uh off mic um very briefly uh i i think when i pitched this i said hey weavers get super powerful and you said yes uh but it's a one-shot effect and then they're done which is i think true to a small degree because Every Vizlay has two action refreshes, which mm-hmm. means in the course of a given action scene over, over what is it, five turns, six turns, they can fire off three extremely powerful effects if they came into it with a full pool. Full pool. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not like it's throwing off the balance or anything. Uh, and my weaver is a good player in the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't take over a scene and say, all right, here's how we're going to do it. Um, but it does mean that there's always this sort of unspoken safety net that they can turn to and say, all right, we've gotten in over our heads. Now, can you just dump 12 sorcery and teleport us to anywhere in any universe so that we're safe? that's that's very powerful it's so powerful (laughs) it reminds me of i think it was a module that 
Bruce Cordell wrote for third edition, mm-hmm. uh, the, the bastion of, of broken souls or something, or something along those lines in the, in the first adventure path. And there's like a page or two in the adventure that just talks about all of the precautions that would have, ha- would have been taken to prevent the game breaking spells from breaking this particular adventure. So they couldn't just teleport in, grab the thing and get out or whatever, whatever the MacGuffin was. Um, sure. And this is a common problem in magic RPGs where once you get high enough level, you get abilities that make storytelling very different and, and challenging uh, because the, what you can usually uh, use as story grist, uh, you can't because there, why bother having um, your overland travel encounters when you can just teleport or fly? Uh, why bother with things like walls when you can walk through walls? Uh, these things, can, they can render obsolete a lot of things we take for granted in most storytelling. So all that obsolescence, what do you, what is, what's some of the advice that we can give out for how to handle this stuff? It reminds me a bit of the role of ciphers in the cipher system, or you mentioned earlier that it's, it's, it's a bit like having a, a party member that has an extra wicked key or three. Yeah. Um, and so th- that's actually useful. Also remember that other people have magic, get out of frail, get out of jail free cards in the form of of wicked keys mm-hmm. and just like the advice with ciphers is ciphers in the cipher system can completely you know negate an encounter uh many of them are so powerful they could very easily just negate an encounter so the yeah. trick is don't have it don't rely on any one encounter that the game is not designed in the way that many others are where you have like two regular strength encounters and then a modern encounter two more encounters than a boss or something along those lines Instead, it's based on a much larger number of encounters that might be handled quickly, but in a diverse uh, series of strategies. Well, the thing about ciphers in the other system is that they're temp- they're typically not repeatable. Like you use a cipher and yes. it's done, it's gone. In here, you use a wicked key, it's a one-shot effect and it's done. I mean, maybe you have some players that have hoarded one or two, um, but after they've used that, wicked key it's gone but with a weaver they've got a sorcery pool that they can refresh multiple times yes and it gets into another problem with uh <clears throat> with a lot of uh, d20 systems they used to call the five minute work day especially with magic users in say third edition dungeons and dragons the incentive was that you had a bunch of spells to buff your uh your party members and to deal damage and so the, the, what they, what a lot of parties ended up doing was they would go into, they wait outside the room, buff everybody, kick down the door, blow everybody up with big spells, just use all of their spells, mm-hmm. destroy what's in the room, and then lock the door and sleep. And then the next day they'd go to the next room, and the next day they'd the incentive. There was no incentive to do more than one thing in any given day. But in a system like that, wouldn't you just introduce random encounters and? try and discourage the five minute workday you can but it, it starts to feel like you are contrived um, it, it, it is it is contrived and it feels like you're specifically trying to uh it, it creates an antagonistic relationship between the gm and the players uh such that you're trying to stop them from doing what they're trying to do even though what they're trying to do will eventually come across as being quite boring yeah and 
I think I'm running into that a little bit too here. Uh, so the last time I tried to lock down some of the abilities of the Weaver in order for the group to have to go through, um, I guess it was essentially a dungeon crawl. Um, I, I said, hey, you've been taken to this place. It's not under, it's not under the invisible sun. You're in the dark and something has messed with green magic. And uh, green magic, one of the aspects is travel, which covers teleportation. And what I essentially told the Weaver was, you can try to teleport, but if you do, it's going to be unreliable. You're not going to know exactly where you're going to go, and it might be very bad for you. Mm -hmm. And you can only do that sort of thing every so often. Because if I keep saying like, oh, you went to this powerful Visley's house, and hey, guess what? He has like wards in place that will prevent teleportation. Like, I, you can't keep doing that because it's, well, it's... Yeah, it, it negates a choice the players have made. Yeah. And it's, it makes it an unsatisfying game, to be sure. Yeah, um, but it's... I, I guess I'm not terribly worried about, you know, my group, because my group is pretty... They're pretty good about not just going in and cheesing the story because they're more interested in playing the game and seeing how things turn out instead of just saying, well, we need to go to a place. Let's just teleport into this person's closet. I can cast this teleportation spell at like level 12 and it'll get us past pretty much anything. Um, they're more interested in actually like playing along and seeing how things turn out. Um, but I still need to take this into consideration because if they do get into trouble, I imagine that a teleportation spell is going to be, you know, their answer at the end. Like, oh, we've exhausted everything. We need to teleport. So one of the things I've been thinking about is if they're running into powerful NPC Vizlay, those characters should also have skills that are pretty comparable to a group of, you know, player character Vizlay. And one of the things they can do is, you know, track these characters with their own divination spells. They should be able to teleport to places that the players can get to as well, because these are powerful characters. And that doesn't feel as cheesy as saying like, no, you can't teleport out of here or no, like you can't do this thing because it would short circuit this encounter. Yeah. I think at that level, the game becomes almost more of an investigation game than a combat game certainly um and so uh, the way you have to sort of gate difficulty is not so much by saying there's a, a really big orc standing in front of the pie um and it's got a nasty sword or whatever but instead you start to say oh, well for the key encounters it's that you have to have this particular object or this particular type of material to mm -hmm. get what you want. Um, and that's that's certainly consistent with the way we tell myths and you know, basic storytelling. We often have that thing like, the only way to kill this creature is this particular thing. Um, not that, you know, it doesn't matter how high you roll, if you don't have that thing, you are not going to be able to affect this creature. And that's the advice that Monty's put in the Teratology book. Uh, and he also, when I got to talk to him about it, I think that was the advice he gave me then, which was your, your character is going to be extremely powerful and there's not much they can't do. So you need to introduce these other wrinkles that change how magic works. So you might have a character who can only be affected if 
you are holding, you know, a flower that has grown under the green sun for the past 50 years. And if you do that, instead of teleporting away to safety, your weaver might have to teleport to the green sun and say, all right, well, we need to find this flower. And it's something they could do relatively quickly. <laughs> it's not a whole session. It's not a quest anymore. It's just right. it's just something that they have to use their tools to go find and get. And, and it that could get stale, but I think there's more room to have variations on that approach than there are uh, trying to, than simply saying, oh, this is a... Uh, this is a bear, but it's a bear that has a plus five resist or something on those lines or is immune to any spell that uses the uh, blue magic. I think it's much better to focus on providing an avenue through which the players can affect a creature than simply saying, oh, this is just going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Um, in the last encounter where they had to fight something, they were fighting a, an extremely, extremely powerful demon that if you were looking at it, it would reflect any physical attacks back on you and it would dispel any magical effects. But if you weren't looking at it, it would be harder to hit, but it wouldn't, you know, have all of its abilities that it would have had if you were looking at it, mm -hmm. which made it a little bit interesting. Uh, in the end, the weaver like hit it with a gigantic tornado that I said, all right, you guys are in a small room. Everybody's taking damage from this. Um, and the demon ended up, you know, scampering off because it wasn't expecting to get blasted by, uh, I think it was 14 points of damage. Um, but hey, it worked. It was effective. And it and it required them to do a little bit of extra thinking. So it wasn't just, I hit it for 14 points of damage. It was, how do I hit it with this much damage um, without being accurate and without looking at it? So the solution was, oh, let's just create a tornado and hurt everything. And that's why I've, I've turned most combat encounters in my games into into puzzles where I've, I've got to find a way to communicate to the party um, how it is that they might be able to affect this creature or at least gain a big advantage over a creature mm -hmm. they could not otherwise handle uh, and then let them figure out, oh, based on this clue, what 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 can I do to actually affect this creature? And then, because I, I never want them those encounters to really last more than half an hour anyway. Yeah, and yeah, I found that they don't, even when I have uh, puzzles set up for it. Uh, so what's what's one of your favorite uh, encounters that you've done that with? Oh, I'm trying to think. I had, I had one where a creature was really bound by its geography, and um, they were, I think they were, I can't remember exactly how this worked, but they were linked to a, a stream that was flowing by. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember if they had to separate the creature from the stream or if they had to move the creature into the stream. But one of those two things uh, ended up being greatly weakening the creature. And how did you communicate that weakness to your characters? It's been a, it's been almost a year, so I forgot most of how I did that. Mm -hmm. um, but in my in my verbal description, I sort of linked the two the creature to the stream and had them um, sort of working in a rhythm and uh and so i think that's how i was able to sort of communicate that there was a connection between the two okay yeah and when i when i set up this last monster the whole trip that they took through the monster's house was basically about uh vision and sight and 
you know, its name was the enemy of sight. And, you know, once they <laughs> first, <laughs> once they started fighting the thing, it became very apparent, like, oh, we can't look at this thing because looking at it <laughs> is very bad. Yes. Um, so it, it, it was interesting and it turned out pretty well. And that sounds very much in the spirit of the game, this, this enemy of sight and having one flavorful and super powerful ability that you just have to work around. Mm -hmm. But once you work around it, then you can handle this demon or this creature or whatever it may be. That's how a lot of the creatures are set up that we were reviewing in the other segments. Yeah. They have a, they have a particular theme to them. And then you just deal with that theme and you, that's, that is the memorable part of the encounter. And so you want to be able to have the, have players engage with that theme, uh, enjoy it for the short period of time they will enjoy it and then move along rather than uh, just playing things out for the sake of having lots of hit points. Yeah. And uh, I guess that's how I'm handling a high level weaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause they are classic glass cannons, except they are not just cannons. They can do anything from teleporting to massive damage uh, to uh, creating objects. And unfortunately, you do have to sort of create barriers around what they do and say, well, yeah, you can create an, a level nine object, but you can't create the cultivated, uh, you know, uh, pr uh, flower uh, that only blooms at midnight under this particular part of the green sun that you'll have to go get. Yeah. Uh, and so it does subvert their abilities to some degree, but but in a way, but still providing them a means of accomplishing their goals without just saying no. Right. Or, you know, try again. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm sure we will check in over time as we both <laughs> deal with these sorts of issues. Uh, this is the this is the shtick of the of the weaver. They are supposed to be able to be very powerful a few times and incredibly flexible. Uh, if anything, I've actually had weavers complain that th that that has for some of them led to an unsatisfying play experience because while they can completely roll an encounter, um, then they wait a while before they have they they uh, feel like they can do it again, uh, and so they yeah. don't feel like they're active parts consistently and they don't have the equivalent of sort of like cantrips or low level spells they can cast uh, and not you know th th so they after they've used their spell then they feel like they are useless like old school ad and d mages like i just cast my, my magic missile now until we rest again i'm just gonna sit back here and throw ineffectual darts i'm kind of okay with that aspect of the weaver and some players are and some aren't. And there are also ways to build a weaver that won't have quite as many sorcery points, but will be able to do more of the low level casting. Mm -hmm. If you invest in the secrets that reduce the cost of certain types of spells, you might be able to routinely do three and four points of damage with your little ping uh, damage at almost no, either almost or at no sorcery cost. Yeah, and if you're weaving <laughs> the same aspect together from two different threads, that's going to reduce your costs even more. Right. So there's ways to do low level weaving inexpensively, and then you could do it consistently over time. But that comes at the expense of investing in the character path that would give you the highest top end sorcery to be able to say, do these 10, le 10 level spells or things mm -hmm. like that. So it's a choice the character makes. But as we often no notice, players often make choices for their characters that they later regret because they are enticed by one particular opportunity and they don't really consider the costs uh, or the opportunity costs that they have foregone uh, by taking that 
particular strategy. Some are fine with it, some are not. Um, and this is something that will have to kind of work out over time. But it's, it is useful to mention to weavers to say, you know, there's at least two different roads you can take. You can look, you can build your weaver to have the maximum level of sorcery to cast the biggest possible spell once uh, per rest or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Or you can build a weaver who can consistently uh, offer a, a, a low level supply of magic uh, throughout various encounters with some constraints, uh, but you can be a more active player more consistently. But this is why what's, what's being balanced in the system is not damage. What's really being balanced in the system is spotlight. Yep. And that's a big shift for people who are thinking of Pathfinder style balance, where every character class has to more or less do the same type of damage if they are maximized correctly uh, or something along those lines. That's certainly not the case in this game. There's there's been no attempt at that. Uh, Instead, they're just trying to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to shine. And this falls on GMs then to create encounters so that sometimes the weaver can just roll it with a with a weaving. And maybe that's the best way to overcome this situation. But other times that Vance is going to look great because they have a very particular spell that's going to work. And being able to cast repeated spells will give them a different type of spotlight. And you've got to match the player to the character spotlight to the encounter. And that's why GMing is hard. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, It really helps us out. Uh, We also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha- help people find us.